So, Krishna, I'd love to start. You know, so many clients are not just interested in growing their finances uh, or figuring out how to give away their finances or figuring out how to save money, but they're also interested in, in what often creates those finances, and that's the work that we do every day. And I know in your life, you've taken a couple of detours with your career path. You haven't just stayed on one path. Having lived in Indiana, Tennessee, and Pittsburgh, the kind of detours I've taken are not usual most of the time. And especially being Indian, it makes it even tougher. So we, when people realized I left a secure engineering situation and started being a photographer, they said, what went wrong with you? You were good in math. And... Uh, you kind of look at them cross-eyed and go, uh, and uh, you know, this is not about you. This is about my life. And one of the things is how we define success. We can use a yardstick, and I shared this story with a lot of people. If you were the owner of a clothing store and you sold fabric, would you let your customers bring their own yardstick to measure fabric in your store? And most people I ask this question say, no, almost instantly. And then I ask them if, and we are usually have one once in a while, someone says, no problem, a yardstick is a yardstick. But really, most people quickly say no to that question. And then I say, well, but you allow everybody, people you don't even know, passers-by to evaluate your life using their yardstick. And I think that's the first choice we have to make. Mm. Whose yardstick are we going to use to measure our life? I like that starting point because when I find with our careers, with money, we're often using yardsticks that are not our own. They're often our parents' yardsticks or our cultural yardsticks. The first thing is, how do you find your own yardstick, right? And you use the beautiful word, noise. I love that word, noise. I use the word, chatter. Same thing. It's head noise. The amount of noise in your head will tell you very quickly the level of ease with which you're living your life. So if there is a lot of noise, the best time to find out that if you have a lot of noise is when you, hit, when you try to go to bed and when you wake up. Those are two moments where you can measure very quickly and you can tell if you're at ease or if you're not at ease, if you're at peace or you're not at peace. If at the moment you go to bed, and when I say go to bed, it means when you're going to bed without sleeping pills and without getting drunk. Too many people, I think, con themselves into drinking expensive glasses of wine and think that they're having a good time when really what they're trying to accomplish is numbing themselves to sleep. And so what you find is how much noise is there. And the moment there is noise, that means you're not at ease. And interestingly, this ease is about not being at ease. So this is not just being at ease mentally. Many times you end up with physical ailments called disease because you're not at ease. Yeah. And so it's very clear that when I'm not at ease, I can tell based on the tension on my forearms. I can tell something is not working. So the moment I start to sense that, I say, what's going on? So you're saying a great litmus test, Krishna, is that people can become aware of the chatter in their minds, and that will often inform us as to how well our current careers, jobs, lives actually are working for us. 
Absolutely. And using that, I actually came up with a simple philosophy of life, which is living two days at a time. I know you've heard live one day at a time, the 12-step programs and many others uh, teach you the philosophy of living one day at a time. And as I was espousing that, I heard some people say, well, if there's no tomorrow, I might as well have a big day today and die. So I tried to close that loophole by making it live two days at a time. So I said, do whatever you want today as long as it doesn't jeopardize your tomorrow. Mm, I like it. I like and it. Yeah. you simply ask yourself two questions. When you, What did I learn today? What can I do different tomorrow? And just try it out to the next day. And life is a series of todays and tomorrows. So it's very simple how to act once you get into this on this path or this journey. So going back to noise, understanding is there noise? And as you said, it's a noisy world. So everybody has noise to varying degrees. So we all have noise. How do we deal with that noise? If the noise crosses a certain threshold, then it becomes pain, right? Yes, yes. First, you noticed the noise in your head when you were at the wealth management company. And then how did you let go of the yardstick? Great question, Spencer. So. What my parents gave me, I shed when I was 18. That happened because of pain. I told you, once the noise increases beyond a point, it becomes pain. And when the pain goes beyond a point, then you want to end your life. So when you reach that point, and then you survive multiple times, then I learned, if I can't even kill myself, Let me at least give it a shot and try to learn how to live. So it was an active effort of how to learn how to live. And that comes a great lesson. So once you reach that point, you go, you know what, I'm I'm I'm, I'm alive for a purpose. Let me figure out what it is. And the moment you start looking for that, things start to show up. It's all about what you look for shows up in your life. Some call it the law of attraction, but, but the key is, it, it, it really, you know, you want to buy a red Volkswagen bug, you see so many more red Volkswagen bugs on the street, not because suddenly the number of Volkswagen bugs start increased in the streets of San Francisco or Pittsburgh, it's because you tuned your attention to it. That's it. You try to be aware of how it's impacting you. And I think stress is a very good indicator of how well you're doing, right? If you're living your life in concert with what you want and your values, then it's the stress levels are low. When yeah. things are in dissonance, then your stress levels yeah, start I, to increase. I, th- I think that's important because I think um, we can all get the sense that change is, is good just for the sake of change, and that's not what we're saying, Krishna, that that often for many people, uh, it's the, the, the points we're making are not, not to tell people that you should, you should leave your job as an engineer or, um, or any other job, but, that, but to look at whether you're having that dissonance, whether you're experiencing all that noise in your mind, all that stress in your mind, you know, as you're going to sleep, if that's occurring, then, it's, then there might be something to explore. But if you're feeling a lot of peace in your life, in your current career situation, no reason to change it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in the end, it's all about being at peace or being at ease. Yeah. Because most people... We've been raised on a myth. So you talked about uh, how, how you've been conditioned or raised. Most people are raised on the myth that, you know, focus on achievement and happiness will follow. Yes. And that to me is a myth because what happens is we get on the treadmill of achievement 
and then we refine it. We go to productivity classes, which means we run faster on the treadmill. And in case you haven't noticed, once you're going really fast on a treadmill, you can't jump off. You fall, and you're scared. So it becomes very difficult to jump off a fast-moving treadmill, which, by the way, you designed, you developed, and you took uh, more uh, lessons and training to go faster. Yes, I know that too well. Krishna, was there a moment when you were at the financial firm, you were there nine years, was there a moment, you know, perhaps in the ninth year, when it all became clear to you? Uh, Yes. The, and again, it's it's all about. It's not one moment. There are uh, the, the, you get multiple signals, and the signals for me were came in these three ways. First one was I wrote the book to share some of my lessons learned through pain, in the hope that those who read it and it was all anecdotal stories. There's no you know academic research in it, though everything can be corroborated with uh, academic research. But it was anecdotal, simple language so that anybody could read it and then maybe get some inspiration or some, you know, I call it wisdom comes from learning from other people's mistakes, right? Not your own. Because learning from your own mistakes is more painful than learning from other people's mistakes. So in that hope, I wanted to put the book out. And uh, the uh, I had the opportunity while being at the firm to get the book out. And... Because I was the chief operating officer and we grew so much and I was also the life coach coaching the employees and over the eight years, uh, first eight years I was there, we grew I think about 500%. So once that growth started to happen, my job responsibilities started to increase and the CEO responsibilities started to increase much more than the coaching because I, I was still one guy. So... When I started, it was 50-50 coaching and CO, and then it became 95-5. So it was heading the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. But that didn't bother me as much because I was watching the, I was trained to be an achiever, so we were achieving. So it all felt okay till I started getting about one email a month from random people saying how this book had changed their life. And I did not do any marketing or I didn't have time to do any marketing or the traditional, you know, the author book tours and so on. Because I was the chief operating officer of a 27-person firm at that point. So what I had to do was I just let it go. And when I started getting these letters or emails, and it started to uh, not bother me, but I started to feel some sense of, uh, responsibility. If there are people whose lives are being changed by this book, how come I'm not doing anything about it? And then I'll share one story that came uh, towards the end of last year, and he put it on Amazon so I can disclose, otherwise I couldn't share. Here is a guy who sent me an email from Washington, D.C. saying, hey, Krishna, if I drive to Pittsburgh, will you have lunch with me? And I said, if you drive to Pittsburgh, I will have dinner with you. So he shows up and he shares that last year he lost his job, he had a uh, bout with depression, and my book bought him peace. When, he, when the guy drives that far to tell you this, and I was fully expecting to pay for dinner because he drove all the way, and he says, no, you, you can't do that. I won't let you do that because you don't know what you've done for me. And later on, he discloses that a very close family member of his committed suicide last year and that my book brought him peace. When you hear stories like this, then you realize what you're doing, you need to devote more attention to that. 
That was one set of signals. The other set of signals were my wife asked me, hey, the kids are getting older. They need more of your attention. I said, sure. I'm absolutely uh, ready to do that. So, uh, you know, if you're a chief operating officer at a firm, you can you get home typically around 7 and uh, relax, have dinner, and I'm ready at 8.15, ready to go. Okay, who wants help? And my 12-year-old is half asleep, and my 14-year-old say, well, what do you want to do with me? And so we had a mismatch in time. So I realized that I, if I needed to help them, I needed to be home between 4 and 7. And that's not going, that means I had to leave work at 3, which was not an option. So, again, I was thinking win-win, and I told the CEO of the firm, my friend, I said, this is what's going on. I need to come up with an idea. So I told him, hey, why don't I switch to business development and not be chief operating officer? And uh, so came up with a totally different idea, and we have something called we invoke the 48-hour rule, which means if something totally wacky is proposed, we don't react. And that actually goes back into being aware because your emotions will react. What I hear you saying is that eventually we get this sense that we have a purpose and you discern that your purpose from that meeting with the person who said that you really saved their life, changed their life, you realize that your purpose became very clear to you in that in that scenario. It became very clear to you when your wife said, hey, we need you home more. And that's, I think, a key part of uh, my work is helping people uh, get clear on their purpose. And I focus a lot on people's finances at Abacus Wealth Partners, but a lot of our work with their finances is to make sure that the money is oriented towards their purpose in life. I thought we could circle back to your book and love to hear more about how some of the ideas in the book can actually help somebody with their finances. Great. So the book is a collection of my experiences and my lessons. So one of the things I brought about in the book was this notion of life spaces. All of us inhabit six life spaces. So yourself, your life with your partner, your friends and your community, your work or your business, and your money and your kids. So this is all the spaces we inhabit. And there are different things going on in each of them on a daily basis of various noise levels and so on. And what we're seeking is harmony, right? Because harmony is, again, a great word because if everybody sang, whether you take it from physics or music, if everybody sang the same note at the same pitch and the same time, you'll have one sound. You won't have harmony. So differences are okay, but if each one is singing from a different songbook, then you'll have a different problem. You'll have cacophony. So what you want is some amount of alignment so that you get harmony, but it's not all going to match perfectly. And at different times, you're going to have more amount of harmony, less harmony, so on and so forth. So this being aware of the life spaces that you live in is key. So we'll focus on the role of money and the relationship with money. So in your relationship with money, you could be use it as a tool or give it power to own you. So a servant or a master. And that's a choice you make. And it's a, it, it, the more conscious of a choice it becomes, what is the role of money in my life? So what can money do for you or what can money do to you? 
Absolutely. And I think that connects back to what we were saying, talking about earlier with our sense of purpose in life is having some some beacon guiding us with our finances, with, with how we spend our money, how we uh, give away our money, how we invest our money. And often what I'm noticing with, with so many people, so many friends that I come in contact with is there it's completely random or impulsive as to how they invest their money or spend their money. There's not, there's no design to it. It's not orienting towards something. Design is a good one. So let's touch on a couple of things. It's almost like the monkey mind you mentioned, it, yes. you know, in your book is almost the monkey mind is, is a metaphor for how a lot of us spend our money. Now it's probably a good time to me to just uh, shed some light on the principal concepts of the book. So the pig and ape are obviously animals, but they're also acronyms. The pig stands for pursuing instant gratification. And those of us who know the pig, we also refer to the greedy pig. We say, I pigged out, so on and so forth. So it actually matches. And the ape stands for avoiding painful experiences. And if you really study apes, they're very non-confrontational animals. They don't like to get into conflict, and neither do we. We'll try to avoid things, and one of the reasons humans procrastinate a lot is because at the, and when you procrastinate, you actually feed the pig and the ape at the same time. So that's a little bonus. I'll tell you why people procrastinate. But coming back to the monkey mind, so I equate the monkey mind to the third element, which is the ego. Our egos drive, and our emotions drive most of our decisions, yeah. but we will use our intellect to rationalize those decisions. Right, right. And the and smarter I, I, you are... And I think that, that especially with money, the emotions make, you know, make that first uh, decision to invest in our brother-in-law's uh, startup company, and then the mind rationalizes it uh, when we, when we, after we leave our brother-in-law's house and after we've already written the check to invest in his company. Because you can't be wrong, because now you look bad. So you'll find every possible reason to justify it to yourself. And I think that is the biggest self-con that there exists, how your own mind is conning you most of the time. So my whole idea is to make you aware of what is going on. So just being an observer to the game that's being played with you, by you. And that's a very powerful approach to live because you start laughing. That's the best part. You start watching a show. I mean, you don't need a reality show. It's you. Right. So let's say you're in, say you're in a store and you're about to buy, you know, this piece of jewelry. If uh, what I hear you saying, Krishna, is that if you can gain awareness of the, the pig, the, the greedy part of us, the ape, the, the uh, fearful part of us, uh, you might be able to actually access uh, some truth about that maybe maybe it is a good thing to purchase this piece of jewelry or maybe it isn't. Um, Absolutely. To not be, it's, you're not saying to not buy the piece of jewelry or to buy it. You're saying, can we, can we become aware of our emotion, the emotional forces that tend to, to, to push us in one direction or another uh, that, aren't, that don't necessarily serve us? You, 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 you nailed it. I mean, that's a perfect example. So you ask yourself three questions. Am I being driven by my greed? Am I being driven by my fears? 
or my avoidance techniques mm. or am I being driven by my ego? Mm. Those three questions, you wow. don't have, I mean, the moment you ask those, you become aware. Well, and now you can say, I'm going to do it anyway, <laughs> and then take a chance. I'll tell you one great story. A friend of mine called me one day and said, Krishna, this thing happened at work, and I knew it was all ego, and I did it anyway. There was a pause. I didn't say a word. He was getting uncomfortable. He was getting uncomfortable, and then I said, great. And he got even more uncomfortable. He thought I would admonish him saying, dude, I've been talking to you for two years. How could you do something like this? Even when after you became aware, it was all ego. And I said, great. He said, what do you mean? I said, you know, you made that choice with awareness, which means now when you get the consequences, you know exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. It's very good. It's very good. I was I was uh, at an event recently, and I was with a a Hollywood celebrity. I can't disclose her name because she she confided in me something very personal about her financial life. But it was exactly what you're saying. We we started talking about real estate, and she said, "Oh, I can tell you a real estate story." She said, "I bought my house only. The only reason I bought it is be, is to." impress others i felt like i needed like the 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 greed in me there was the greed in me of wanting to impress others and you know buy this thing that i that i never could before afford previously and the fear that if i didn't buy this house there'd be no other houses available you know or the or the fear that if i don't have a fabulous house I, I won't be respected at the level uh, of value that I have in the Hollywood acting world right now. Uh, and she said to me, it was the worst, you know, uh, one of the worst financial decisions of her life because it wasn't the right house. It wasn't in the right location. She had to sell the house a few years after the, she bought it for a huge loss. What a beautiful example. Sorry example, but uh, great examples. What you demonstrated in was she was possessed by all three working in collusion. You know, they collude. The pig worked with the ape, worked with the ego, done. Done. You yeah. cooked. Because it's very, very powerful emotions that it's very difficult. But the fact is distance. So let's talk about distance. So I have a personal philosophy, which is if I want something... And I use words very carefully. So if I want something that I don't need, I first have to give an equal amount to charity. It, do, it does many things, not just the yeah. philanthropy yeah. part of it. Yeah. It buys me time, right? Because if I need a $5,000 watch, now I need to find 10000 yeah. And I need to find a charity to give the 5000 first, or at least to my donor advice fund, so that I... And then... Go buy my watch. Yes, it makes. I love what you said. It gains you some distance, which is exactly what we need. We need that sense of objectivity. One of the things that I say, and I, I say said in my book, is that we we all have so much wisdom around money, but we're we're clouded by uh, our emotions and you know mm-hmm. fear, uh, our greed. Uh, all of that keeps us from accessing uh, the wisdom that we, we each naturally have around our finances. 
So what a great idea to to use that the charity idea that you have to invest an equal amount in charity to to give you some time, a little bit of distance, so you can ask those questions that you shared with us, which I think are great questions. How am I operating from a place of fear or a place of greed? How is fear and and or and or greed driving this decision? I mean, you could use do it for any decision in life. Yeah, uh, exactly. But but especially from for especially for a financial decision. What was what would you say? There was a third one as well, which is or is it my pride? Or is it my, my pride? Fear, greed, yes. or pride? Yes. Which is really the pig and the ape and the ego? Yes. Which drives most of your uh, uh, you know the quick decisions. I mean, you actually used even a big one. Should I buy this house? But you know, which career path do I go? Who do I marry? But even there, we get cloud. You use the word clouded. We get clouded by our emotions, and then we'll do the analysis to match the decision. You can always find a rationalization for anything you do in life, including smoking. You know, or anything you can find a reason. It's certainly a good start, and I think you're offering two things. One is the questions. Two, one of the things I say in my book is to take a money breath. I say to pause. Mm. Uh, before you're about to buy something, about to invest money, or about to give money, or whatever, just take a breath uh, and allow yourself to slow down. And I think you're saying the same thing, that physiologically, when we slow down, our minds work better, our bodies work better, and we're more likely to have an insight into whether this is really an important decision to go left or right. Perfect. Actually, Spencer, let's combine the two for now. So you take a money breath... And then ask the three questions. Your quality of your choices will increase significantly for the better. Yes, yes. I absolutely believe it. I I know, Krishna, that there was an investment that I made uh, many years ago with a friend. Had I asked those questions, I can't imagine I would have made the investment. Of course, hard to redo the experiment. But I know that I was I was so smitten by the emotions around it and the and the excitement and the fear that if I didn't invest with my friend, what would he, my friend think of me? Well, how would yeah. how would that hurt my pride, my ego, as you say, Krishna? That I felt this this compulsion to just do it. Uh, compulsion, another big word. Every angel investment I have made to make a quick buck blew up in smoke. That greed right there. It was not ego. It was trying to make a quick buck. Okay, oh, this is great. Let's go boom, boom, boom. And then recently I even did a Series F, free IPO. And that blew up in the solar space. You mean, you mean Krishna, I'm not the only one who has been driven by emotions with investing? No, because, and then, uh, but these are all, and so, and this was after I was aware the best part because series f i i was told this is a no-brainer and uh, you do it and unfortunately the entire solar space went out and so it was not because it was a bad company i trust everything about it but the space blew up but so sometimes it's i've now become ultra clear after the series f blew up this theory of mine has become even more solid it's all about what's driving your choice you know, what is the energy that's driving your choice? 
It's yeah. very important for you to be aware of what is the energy. Yeah. And this will actually touch on the early questions you asked several times that I have not yet answered about what gives you the courage to make these changes. Okay, before you answer that, I just want to bring one other thing in because there are a lot of people that are listening uh, to this program who are interested in learning about investing. So I just want to cover the other extreme as well and just how you can be... Um, you can feel that you can be driven by emotions like greed to, um, and fear to buy a house or to do a speculative investment. I've also witnessed that you can, you can ha- those same emotions uh, emotion, emo- can be present uh, in, in being too conservative and sort of keeping all your money under the mattress or in a money market in a CD, long-term money, just, you know, at CDs, which, of course, you know, in today's rates don't get you very far. So tell tell us about that. What's going on there when somebody just can't get can't do anything but put have all their money in CDs? Well, uh, the simplest way to say it is the ape is taken over. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, the ape is in charge. Yeah. I mean, they yes. avoid painful experiences. They don't even want to visualize the possibility of something going wrong. I mean, that's too protectionist. I mean, entrepreneurs go through this all the time, Spencer. When they start a company, they take more calculated risks, okay? And I remember when my wife and I got married back in 92, two good friends of ours told her, Krishna takes risks, but he's not reckless. And I had never heard that distinction before. And I thanked them for making that distinction because... If you only saw certain things I was doing in 92, you know, big moves, some people could have seen it as reckless. I quit my job. I became an entrepreneur. There was no venture capital available those days. So you just, you know, went for a bootstrap and people are going, what's wrong with this guy? He's being reckless and he's just gotten married and he has no job. He's nothing. And, but it was not reckless. It was taking a risk. So it's about, it's about calculated because you have to take a chance. That's right. Is is it life by is is risky? As soon as we're born, we face an enormous set of risks. And and what I have seen is that you know, that that what we as human beings try to do is 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 take those risks down to zero, which which is an illusion that we can do that. We can we can certainly decrease risks in life, but we can't eliminate uh, risks. Um, Krishna, I've just noticed the time, and we should get back to you wanted to answer some of those original questions. Let's do that. Okay. And I wanted to just wrap up one thing about entrepreneurs. So once entrepreneurs become successful, many of them plateau or even decline because now they want to protect the money they have made, and they won't take the chances anymore. Good point. Good point. So it's 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 sort of recognizing that that risk it can still be healthy. You just you just need to do it in a in a very um, methodical, calculated way, and and be open to to listening to those uh, emotions of fear and greed and pride within yourself at all times. That's right, because yeah. the fear will take over, and you don't want to lose what you made. Oh, now I have three million dollars in the bank. I can't afford to lose it. And guess what? Your entire way how you got to that three million is how you made it. Now you're somebody else. Yeah. You're operating at a different level with a different energy, a lot more fear. Yeah. And now you may have your three million, but you're not sleeping at night. Yes. To wrap up the courage question which you asked, 
it took me 10 years and this is maybe why i thought i the point bring it back to that is because the courage to leave something ultra lucrative was compounded with the fact that i had the fear of poverty but the beauty was the moment i labeled it my fear of poverty i was able to let it go before i didn't even know i had it and that's i think a huge awareness that's why it's all about awareness and my in a 10 year old girl daughter told me a couple of years ago papa presence is the key to all doors and that's what it is the presence is awareness so once i was aware that you know the fear of poverty was what was driving a lot of my choices i you know i said oh my god that's what yeah. it is well i think as soon as as soon as you named it krishna then it's no longer it's no longer just sticking to you you can actually look at it and you could you could see it in its proper perspective it's no longer gripping you you're no longer it you're no longer a person who's just fearful of poverty you're a person who has an awareness of himself being fear to, fearful of poverty which is completely different absolutely krishna this has been so powerful so good to get these uh, teachings from you today and to share them with uh, all the clients and the friends in the abacus community so thank you so much for being with us Well, thank you, Spencer, and uh, I enjoyed the conversation. 